0: We're here to ignite your fire by highlighting the success and innovation of other movement professionals. This is the PT on Fire podcast. Welcome, David Strickland, to PT on Fire. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know David, he is a, a licensed athletic trainer in the state of Washington. He holds a master's degree in sports medicine from the Oregon State University. Uh, Central Western University. Uh, He's an alumni undergraduate. He's also most importantly is a fellow of applied functional science, which is where uh, myself and Nick know him from. Um, He currently works at the Seattle Seahawks uh, as an athletic trainer. He's been to three Super Bowls and two baseball national championships, and we're super excited to have him. Um, And so welcome to the show, David. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Honored to be here. Yeah, man.
1: So Seattle, how is it out there? Uh, well, currently, uh, in the, uh, in the month of March, it's spring rainy. So we had, um, we had quite the, uh, quite the windstorm last night, uh, somewhere upwards around a hundred thousand people without power, uh, last night. So, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's home.
0: That is great, man. Well, you know, you trade the rain and we've got the snow. So, uh, yeah. you know, we are just coming out of it. We had like a 60 degree day the other day, so we're super excited for spring and, and, um, uh, you know, I'm sure you're kind of the season's winding down a little bit for you, you know, and getting back to normal, and that's got to feel pretty good as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a great time for our staff and kind of the building. It's a chance to kind of take a deep breath and catch up with with family and uh, and friends a little bit before we kind of start hitting it again in mid-April.
0: It was super excited. Uh, you know, I was I was super excited to watch you the last couple seasons. You know, seeing you on the field and just just super proud that I was able to be in the you know the same educational class as you, and just just awesome. And you're you're an inspiration to us, and that's really what this podcast is about. You know, we're trying to uh, inspire and motivate uh, movement professionals in general, just to to think outside the box and realize there's some really great opportunities out there. Well, thank you very much for that compliment. It's it's you know
1: whatever it is that we do is always an accumulation of the people who help put us here. So I mean. You know, whatever you see is 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 a product on on a Sunday. That's always a product of you know all the people around us and all the people who have uh, helped us uh, get us where we are and uh, you know all the all the preparation, the gift fellowships, the the hours and hours of learning, stuff like that. So so that's what that is, and I appreciate you.
0: Yeah, it's like the quote that says, you know, uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. I like that. I might steal that from you. Yeah, man. I love it. I use it all the time. Uh, so I want to get right into this, man. Uh, you know, you know, recently kind of published in Sports Illustrated and, and, and you guys were highlighted. Uh, Ricardo Lockett. Tell us about that story. Uh, I believe it was November 1st, uh, Seattle versus Dallas game. And uh, he took a nasty hit to the head. And and uh, man, what a you know, what a just, a, just tell us about it. Sure, yeah, that was a
1: uh, that was an interesting uh, interesting event. It, w- it was pretty scary. It, it's one of the things that uh, us as athletic trainers, we prepare to do uh, as far as emergency management on the field. Um, but we hope we never have to do it. Unfortunately, here in Seattle, we've had to do it a few times. Um, so unfortunately, we were well practiced and well prepared. But yeah, I saw the play from the start. Uh, Ricardo took a uh, took and delivered a hit to the head. Um, Causing some uh, pretty significant uh, cervical spine damage uh, up at the levels of one, two, and three. Um, his spine wasn't wasn't damaged obviously because he's still up and walking around and living today. Um, but he was pretty compromised out on the field, and um, we were pretty happy to be able to stabilize him on the field and get him the care that he needed. Um, but according to the surgeon that uh, that did his that did his repair. His particular injury, one, you never see because that patient is usually dead. Um, And so I think that uh, Ricardo is very, very lucky uh, to to still be with us today. And and not only that, but still be fully functional as as a human being and and able to do all those activities of daily living uh, that we all come to take for granted uh, day in and day out.
0: Just absolutely amazing to see, you know, the preparation you know, and, and come to that moment and just be able to save a life is just unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I noticed I, I watched the video several times last night and I noticed two things that stood out to me. Number one, you were the first one there, and, and and the second thing I noticed was that you were at his at his head. You know, I mean, did you did you have the opportunity throughout that uh, I couldn't quite see, but it looked like you were at the head the whole time. Were you holding his neck? Were you holding it? I mean, were you the guy? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I happened to um
1: I got there first because I'm the fastest. Um, we, <laughs> so we have a uh, we have a um, we have a hierarchy when we go out on the field. So we have a plan of attack. Usually Donald Rich, who also is a uh, is a gift fellow, um, who's our head athletic trainer, would normally take the head in that situation. Um, but I got there first. I stabilized the head and neck. And one of the uh, cardinal rules for stabilizing and uh, and preparing to package and transport a, a potential C spine injury is once you gain control of the head, you never let go. Um, so I never let go. And so and uh, from that point forward, uh, the rescue was mine to run uh, because I had the most important uh, most important piece in my hands. Uh, so I, I'm not ashamed to say that that was the first rescue that I actually had to run in real time on a real player. Um, Wow. Normally, you know, I've run rescues and practice uh, time and time again. So uh, it wasn't the first time in my head that I've run it. um, But normally I'm at Donald's left um, when he's running the rescue. So uh, my job usually at that point is to take off face mask and, uh, get the board in there, get it slid, and all oh, those are very, very important jobs. Um, um, but I happened to be at the head and running the rescue at that that particular moment.
2: Man, that's that's the crazy part. When that stuff happens, you never know what's going to happen. So when it does, you just got to like get into that fight mode. It's it's crazy how well you guys executed that. Yeah, we were uh, we were pretty pleased. We don't we never think it's perfect, but um,
1: in this case, it was a perfect result. Sure. Uh, so we'll we'll take that any day.
0: Um, how but much did you practice that? I mean, if you were to just, in your mind, you've been an athletic trainer for a long time, how many times have you practiced that scenario? Uh, well, at
1: least once on game day in my head. Okay. Um, and then we we practice it uh, two or three times during the preseason. We bring all of our paramedics in uh, uh, that work with us on game days. Uh, we bring um, Harborview, which is our level one trauma center out here in Seattle. We bring their emergency room physicians, uh, and to also uh, kind of see what we do, uh, as well as kind of school them up on how to remove football equipment. These folks, um, these folks do a great job of saving lives. They can, they can, you know, take apart a motorcycle helmet. Uh, they can take a steel rod out of somebody's chest, which they've done, and they've told us stories about. Uh, but when it comes to uh, football injuries and um, taking taking apart that that unique equipment, um, you know, they need our help a little bit. And so, you know, we we kind of pay that forward to them so that if they see one of our athletes or they see one of the high school athletes that comes in with a potential C spine injury, then uh, then they know what to do. So we we do that every year with with probably about you know 35 40 people, and we just we drill for a few
0: hours. Just unbelievable. Yeah, I can tell you, I had uh, goosebumps just watching that last night, and just just wow, man. Just uh, he's pretty blessed to have someone like you, and uh, just thankful you were there, man. Yeah, we appreciate appreciate
1: the compliments. I get a big smile on my face every time he walks into the training room.
2: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah. So, so tell us, you know, tell me about uh, kind of switching subjects here, but still maybe another awesome, you know, adrenaline pumped moment. Um, Super Bowls, man. Tell me about the Super Bowl. Like, how was that? <laughs>
1: oh yeah, it's uh you know, it, it's an it's always an interesting event. Um, so I've. I've as you mentioned before, I, I've been to three, um, once, uh, once the, the fanfare around it, that's kind of, that's for everybody who's watching the game and, and, and all that kind of stuff. and, and uh, once you get into the game, it's, it's just a regular football game. Honestly, um, you know, obviously it's got its impl- implications, uh, towards the end. Winning is way better than losing. Losing hurts like heck. Um, cause I've had the opportunity to lose two of those things, but, uh, but in all honesty, you know, you, you try to do the best job that you can and you try to protect your players uh, the best you can. And, and at the end, you realize that, you know, it's a game. You're blessed to be there. And and uh, win or lose, you were one of the last two two teams playing. And uh, you hope that you can look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and know that you did a good job for your guys. So where are your ratings? Uh, Well, actually, I've... I've <laughs> I'm doing a high school high school tour of our facility today, so I got I have one sitting over here on my bookshelf, uh, and then the the rest of those guys are locked up in a safe.
2: Nice, yeah, man, that's awesome. I got another game question for you. Where were you when uh, when Beast Mode broke the Richter scale when he had that crazy run, just plowing people over <laughs> on the on the side uh, right that, there? that particular time, I was looking at I was helping
1: uh, one of our team physicians look at a player. Uh, who was hurt on the sideline? Uh, so we had him back on our exam table, and uh, you know, if you know anything about CenturyLink, then you know CenturyLink it's pretty loud, and uh, this, yes. the fans started getting you know, started getting a little restless. They started getting a little louder, and all of a sudden, it was just this deafening noise. And I looked up at the uh, I looked up at the at the screen and saw the patented uh, Marshawn Lynch um, touchdown celebration dance and uh i was i was i i was excited but then i still had a job to do so um i didn't even really see the play until later that night
0: wow so so yeah tell us a little bit about that you know how'd you get your start what's the life like you know what's the life like in the day of an nfl athletic trainer i mean you know you don't really get to be a spectator you know so so what's it like i mean tell me how you got started and, and what it feels like and what the day's like for you
1: Uh, well, uh, days vary. Um, you know, everybody wants to ask that question and, and I guess what they really want to know is what a day is like for, uh, 30 weeks of the season. Right. Right. Um, you know, when we start in July and then end in and, uh, well, more often than not, uh, lately in early February. Um, so, uh, it's a grind. It, uh, it's a grind and you have to wake up every day and and realize that you're in a, in a completely blessed situation. Um, you know, we're working 14, 16 hour days, seven days a week. Um, not every, not every day is like that. Uh, some days are uh, a little shorter. Um, hopefully, uh, usually there's not too many longer days. Uh, thank God. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we're going, uh, we're going nonstop. Um, and it's, uh, it's a mesh of things you know obviously our priority is taking care of our players so uh, there's a lot of preventative uh, preventative stuff that we do with those guys uh, whether it be functional testing whether it be um uh, whether it be uh, you know as basic as as taping and bracing or or even uh, soft tissue work um so uh, obviously with, there's that stuff there's administrative stuff that we need to do and then there's always, uh, you know, covering the practices and the lifts and the workouts and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, we have pretty busy days. Uh, uh, from starting at about 6 a.m. and going until about 8 o'clock, um, and then, uh, you know, you wake up and you do it all the next day. And, and you know, that's the whirlwind. You know, you, uh, you, I always, I say this every year um, when we start training camp in July, I go, hey, we're gonna blink and it's gonna be January. And then January gets there, and I go, man, I blinked, and this season just flew by. So, you know, you're busy, and you're just kind of doing the same thing every day for a long period of time. just flies by for us.
2: Yeah, and David, you mentioned something there about functional testing. And and I would imagine with as long as that season is and the grind, as you mentioned, those athletes are, are putting their bodies through a lot. And so what kinds of things are you guys doing on the front end or even throughout the season For functional testing and as far as like a preventative measure or continued, uh, you know, measure for prevention of injury throughout the season. Sure, we uh, um, you know, we're doing
1: a conglomeration of things. We're throwing everything at these guys. So uh, whether it be uh, FMS or whether it be, um, you know, whether it be some AFS stuff or whether it be uh, some um, uh, some stuff that we. Well, we didn't come up with it, but our sports science department came up with it. And uh, uh, in just testing um, isometric and uh, 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 groin um, strength, uh, subjectively, Um, we we do a ton of that stuff, just trying to measure everything that we can measure with these guys. Um, And then there's there's always the functional testing and functional return. Uh, stuff that we do for the guys so you have this ebb and flow of injured players you know uh, a player gets an ankle sprain or he gets a knee sprain and um, you know there's there's some functional testing once the healing is done the 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 strength and conditioning is returned to the limb or to the joint uh, and to the muscles around the joint then there's a functional testing uh, behind that so when a player is down for four weeks in the middle of the season uh, you can bet we're we're trying to bust their hump a little bit uh, trying to make sure that at the end of that four weeks, they're ready to go. So, uh, um, I mean, there's there's a ton of stuff that we do with these guys um, from that standpoint.
0: So, so you guys really have the whole gamut of movement professionals. You know, you've got the a physical therapist, several athletic trainers. Kind of tell me about that whole team, and then really describe, I guess, really your role there as far as do you get a chance to to work on strength and conditioning programs and development or or are you mainly there, you know, uh, in emergency situations, and then, you know, acute traumas, or you know, kind of describe really the whole team that you guys have, and then really where you fit into that into that puzzle. In that. Sure. So our athletic trainers, I,
1: um, and our physical therapist is also an athletic trainer. So uh, I, I put him, I put him into this. Um, I, you know, we're central to the uh, we're central to the 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 injury picture. Okay. Okay. So. Um, from from day one of injury, uh, we're taking care of the players uh, to to day n of the injury uh, when the player is finished with the injury and, and return to play. So we do um, we do all of the uh, the functional return um, training, uh, the uh, the functional reconditioning of the player uh, until we hand it over to our strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, uh, within that picture, I will call them um, say the photo editors are. Uh, our sports science staff—they uh, kind of augment what we do. So uh, they've got GPS data, they've got sleep data, they've got um, uh, uh, they've got wellness data. So they've got all this data, all this baseline data on this injured player. So they. They kind of help us augment this picture. Hey, he needs this. Hey, he needs that. Um, he isn't doing this well. Hey, whenever you're ready, we can do opti-jump. Whenever you're ready, we can do a, a GPS tracked uh, functional field workout. So they really help us kind of fill in the blanks and and make it so it's not so much guesswork. So we can kind of, um, uh, I call it tune in our sniper scope instead of going into the room with a shotgun, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so they, they do a good job of kind of pointing us in the right direction so that we can uh, use our skills more effectively take better advantage of the short periods of time that we have with these players uh, on a daily basis you know they're off to meetings they're at practice you know and even our injured players they, they've got commitments to the team that they still need to fulfill um, other than getting well um, that's just something else that's on their plate so uh, when it comes down to it you know our, our athletic training staff, and our PT, uh, we're central to the to the players' uh, health and wellness. And then everybody uh, around us is really just try, is helping us fill in those pictures um, and uh, to get these players ready.
2: That's great. So it's definitely you know a whole body and, and mind approach that you guys take. And I would, I would imagine it would have to be yeah to avoid the burnout that an athlete would go through if, it, if that weren't the case.
1: A hundred percent. It's. It's, it's a really conducive environment for that. Uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, um, uh, our head coach and our GM respectively, uh, they do a phenomenal job of, of fostering an environment where um, you know as long as, as long as you're telling them that we need to do something and you're giving them some support for it, they're completely open-minded. They give us all the resources that we need to, to be good at our job. So um, if there's any failures on our part, it's not their fault, it's our fault.
0: Um, how, how much of the applied functional science knowledge is on the other end of the spectrum? So, so you're, you've said there's several of you that are with, with an injured athlete that have that knowledge. Are there people in your organization that are working on like the strength and conditioning coaches uh, that are working these players out on a daily basis? Do they have that information as well? Uh, one of our strength and conditioning coaches ha- has, um,
1: has attended a few Chain Reactions, and he has a pretty he has a pretty good idea of AFS and uh, and um, just kind of what it's all about. Um, but for the most part, we're kind of, we're kind of it. So we've got um, uh, Michael Tankovich, uh, who just went through, just went through GIFT um, uh, this past year, myself in 2013, and then uh, Donald Rich, who went through it, I believe, in 2011. Uh, and then we'll send uh, our final staff member uh, for the 2017 class uh, uh, or no, 2018 class, I think. I, I don't even know what month it is right now. <laughs> it'll be the, uh, it'll be the 2017 class, so he'll get started here in February. Awesome. Um, but you know, with us kind of having having that knowledge and uh, different perspectives uh, to to AFs, um, it kind of it really it bleeds into to other other departments. It's really kind of neat. Excellent. That's great, man.
0: So so, what do you do right now to uh continue your process of learning? I mean, how are you feeding the fire? Uh, well, right now I am trying to work my way
1: through the 400, uh, CAFS videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. yep. Uh, which is, which is awesome because, um, you know, I, I love listening to those guys talk and, um, you know, they, they teach me something, they teach me something new or help me remember something every day. And, uh, and it, it always really seems like they're on time, uh, you know, regardless of what I'm working with, they, I'm going through this kind of a knee module. I, I call it a knee module right now, but we're talking about some, uh, some knee things. And I say we're talking like I'm speaking, but um, I'm just listening, obviously. Um, sometimes I talk to the screen, but that's few and far between. But uh, I, you know, I'm working with one of our coaches uh, who just had a total knee replacement. And so it seems like these guys are always right on time with something that I'm dealing with, um so it's it's really refreshing and kind of really kind of stokes the stokes the fire day in and day out uh it, as often as I get to to watch some videos
2: yeah and david you know you you guys definitely interact with a huge group of people, not only you know the the athletes but knowing that they're all from crazy different backgrounds and everybody has different stories um what are some type of uh challenges or issues that you have connecting with and building trust with with the players and what do you find most effective for for connecting with them? It may be, you know, just individual to each athlete, but have you had a a strategy that you use to, you know, best connect with that athlete and build trust?
1: Sure. You know, um, you know, going a little bit into my background um, you know I went to a I went to a high school where it was uh, you know 2,400 kids and that was three levels we were one of the largest high schools uh, in the state of Washington at the time um, and it was a predominantly white high school I'm, I'm half black and I'm half Filipino um, so uh, my my group in in if you remember high school, it was very cliquey. You know, you had the jocks, and you had the, uh, you had, you know, this kid, and you had that kid. So you had all these different cliques. And, um, you know, being an athlete, um, being from my my background and my heritage, um, you know, I I I belong to a lot of groups, but I didn't belong to a lot of groups. But one thing that I learned to do. Um, and maybe I was gifted with it uh, beforehand. Was speak a lot of different languages, and that's not to say um, actually articulating languages, um, but speak uh, speak in a in a way that um, that my audience can understand me, or I can relate the best to my audience. So you know, talking to the uh, to the quote unquote jock kids, you're going to talk a little bit differently than you're going to talk to the uh, quote unquote uh, brainiac kids or, or the smart kids. And so uh, by doing that and, and learning that, uh, I've learned to speak a bunch of different languages and I've learned that it's it's okay to talk to to players different because you can't talk to the kid who went to uh who went to an Ivy League school and, and came from wealth in, in uh, upstate Connecticut the same that you talk to a kid who's from uh who's from Compton, California, uh, you know, that, that just kind of um it clouds your message. Uh you know, they, they don't they don't wanna trust you, they don't understand you um, it's, it's not the same. And, and it's not, I don't change my speech patterns, but, but, you know, changing the words that you use and changing your approach and under and trying to understand uh, where that kid is from helps you relate to where they are. And, and, and it takes you to whatever their level is, uh, so that you can help them the best that you can. If that makes, if that makes any sense at all.
2: Oh, sure. Sure. Totally. And then, and I'm, and I'm willing, I'm betting that when there's an injury, then coupled with all the, the different uh, personalities that you connect with that, changes the game even more when you have to then kind of take them up out of the, the doldrums if they've been injured and try to build their spirit so they can, they can
1: heal. Absolutely. When, when, when they can trust you and, and they can put faith in you. Um, and, uh, and that's, and that's not, not only your skills, but your attitude and trusting that you're going to show up and be the same person every day. Um, and, uh, you know, because they do, they, they do kind of go through that psychological, um, that psychological web of, of, of feelings uh, once they get once they get hurt, and so having a rock and having some, having a beacon that they can kind of go towards, and, and if you can be that beacon for them, then it's pretty awesome. And you can, like you said, pull them out of that doldrum uh, and kind of get them motivated. And that's a lot of the stuff too. That I mean. I got from the gift program, you know, not only the AFS and, and, and ground reaction force and all the science uh, that comes with it, but even just the, the talking to people and, and using positive words and, and and uh and you know, just really challenging people through uh through words and, and um you know, just complimenting them and, and helping them out in that way. You know, I really picked up a lot of that stuff uh, when I was going through the gift program.
0: Absolutely. I think it's probably the most powerful thing we gained from that program. And, and uh, I know for me personally and professionally, it affected the way that I – my relationships. And um, it, it was amazing, you know, <laughs> how, it, how it translates at home too. You know, just, just a great way to, to bond with your family and with your wife and your kids and all that good stuff. So uh, I'm on the same page there for sure. Absolutely. So, so we've got really three questions here that we ask everybody that's on our show. And you know that's where we want to kind of go next with you. Okay. Uh, and these these you know some are, you know one's light and two are kind of deep. So we'll start with a deep one. Uh, what's been your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Um, you know I thinking about this question,
1: uh, I, you know I tried to put my finger on a on a big failure, and and I I, I came to the conclusion that uh, any any failure or any misstep is only as large as you make it. And I feel like maybe in my own mind, I I, I minimize things. I either minimize things or I've maximized things so much uh, just in my mind that there I no big failures have stuck out. Now, there have been many, many failures, and they're all big to me. And uh, one thing that I learned from the accumulation of my many failures is that there's always something to learn from my many failures. Um, and that thing for me is to never – to never make that mistake again, and whatever it may be, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, I one sticks out in my mind where I I, I got gun ho with a kid who was coming back from an ACL. Um, he was killing it. He was on pace for a four month recovery, which is phenomenal. Um, if if you're if you're um, privy to timelines when it comes to that kind of stuff, uh, he was absolutely killing it. Um, I feel like I overtrained him a little bit, and he cracked his patella which in the literature um, at the time, maybe 11, 12 cases in the history of ACLRs um, were ever documented and uh, written up for that. And I felt really bad for that. And so what I learned from that was, you know, hey, um, first off, you got to periodize. And you know that going in, but, you know, you, you get clouded and you get you get gung-ho, you get amped up and juiced up, and the kid was juiced up, and, um, you know, it was my job to hold the reins back. And so uh, from my many failures, um, I've learned to you know, take a look inside and take a look at myself and really do a self-check after, after something doesn't go right and try to figure out how I can be better or what I can do differently to make that never happen again.
0: And we can all appreciate that. I think everybody who's listening to this show right now has had an experience like that. I can think of one right off the top of my head where same, not the same, patella, but I had an ACL reconstruction, and we had a, a, probably a scar tissue release in the hamstrings, you know, and it was this kind of a scary moment. And but yeah, learning from failures, I think, is really important. And, and I'm glad to hear you say that. And um, but yeah, I think we can all relate to that.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Uh, number two, how are you currently feeding your mind, body, and spirit? Um, well, uh, so uh, caught me right in the middle of the Lenten season, yeah.
1: um, so uh, I'm trying to do a, a better job of um, of, uh, of enriching my spiritual relationship with with God, and um, and and in that, uh, I always find that that always brings me closer to my family, um, and it, and it generally makes me approach things. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it makes me a better person, but I think that what uh, what opportunities like this do is it, it just makes you approach life a little bit differently, which in turn makes you seem like a better person. Um, so you know, just just realizing that you know every day, uh, day in and day out, you know, I'm blessed, and uh, you know, just trying to just trying to do those kinds of things and 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 uh, appreciating my wife and appreciating my daughter and appreciating my situation, um, appreciating the fact that we don't want for anything. Um, you know, that, that really is, uh, is kind of my main focus right now. So, um, you know, every day when I drive by Starbucks, so we're, I'm not going to Starbucks right now. Um, that's, that's the, that's my, that's my 40, that's my 40 day, uh, sacrifice, which is a pretty big sacrifice for me, especially during the, during the combine two weeks ago, I had to literally walk by a Starbucks every day before we went to our medical meetings, which <laughs> killed me. God put uh, that in there. <laughs> you God put that Starbucks. He knew I was gonna, I was gonna struggle. <laughs> but uh, but I chose I chose that because I knew that it was going to be a constant reminder, day in and day out, to uh, approach your day a certain type of way, approach my day a certain type of way, um, and and try to. Um, be a better person. I try to do that anyway, but um, I, I just really believe in this, this kind of 40-day time period is a time to really kind of lock down, really try to be a better person day in and day out, um, and be very mindful of it, um, and uh, and just kind of the mindful of, of the situations that I'm in and the people that are around me and I have in my life.
2: That's, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, David. Well, it's it it does get kind of hard, you know, every day to be mindful, to be grateful too, doesn't it? It's kind of like you got to almost remember and train yourself to look around and be grateful for the situations you're in. At least I find that it becomes difficult. Absolutely. You know what what kind of helps
1: that is? Uh, you know, everybody's familiar with memes at this point. There's a there's a popular meme that kind of hit hit the scene early, and it was the first world problems meme. If if you if you've ever seen it. Um, but you know, when people start to, uh, to complain about certain things like, you know, the TV isn't working or, or, you know, oh, I have to go get gas for my BMW or whatever it
0: is, (laughs) you know,
1: um, one, my favorite thing to say is, oh man, it's just, you know, that's a complete first world problem. And, you know, you say it in jest, but it kind of brings things back in perspective. Like, Hey man, there's, there's people out here that are trying to figure out, where their next meal is coming from, or how they're gonna house their kids tonight in the rain, sleet, and snow. So uh, I think you'll be okay for not having cable or the internet went out. I think I think you'll be just fine.
2: Yeah, that's a really good perspective, man. Mm-hmm. Last question for you, David. What What are you looking forward to in the next five years? Uh, the next five years. Um, you know, mostly, and,
1: uh, you know, Andrew, we talked about this a little bit, mostly I'm, I'm looking forward to watching my daughter grow up. Um, she's, it's, it's just been a kick the past, uh, past 16 months. And, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all these toddlers kind of running around and, you know, just knowing that I'm going to be there one day. Um, you know, I'm enjoying the journey. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, um, at the same time, I'm looking forward to the future as well. So, in in all honesty, uh, my number one priority is watching this kid grow up and trying to do the best job I can and raising her and try to be the best dad I can be.
0: Awesome. Well, based on what you told us today, I have no doubt that she's going to grow up with an awesome father and and she's going to be something uh, pretty special, you know, when she grows up. And, you know, my biggest thing is I try not to wish it away because some of those nights are hard and uh, last night being one of them for our house, <laughs> so you know you, tr- you try not to wish it away and you try to enjoy yourself but uh, it is the hardest thing I've ever done
1: absolutely it's it's the hardest, most rewarding thing you know it's i I kind of equate raising a kid to um to golf you play golf you guys play golf sure yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's kind of you know I'm not a very good golfer um, so you're frustrated all day long for seventeen holes. And then on the last one, you stick one right on the green and sink it for a par. And that's the <laughs> shot that just keeps you coming back. And it
0: always happens right at the end. That's funny. It's hilarious. It happens, it happens, it really happens right at the end. And, and
1: raising a kid is just like that. They just, they frustrate you. They want to, they want to, uh, uh, do some things to really test your patience and, and your will as a human. And then at the end, they grab your face and they do something new. They give you a kiss or they whisper in your ear. And, and then that just keeps you coming back for the next day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, you know, we just want to thank you for being with us. And uh, hopefully the, the physical therapist on Fire Nation enjoys uh, listening to you. I'm sure they will. And um, you guys can follow David Strickland on Twitter at StrickATC. Or on Instagram, Instagram at db strickland. Um, I would highly encourage it. Uh, you get kind of a I love seeing the behind the scenes. You know, like just it's so fun watching you do what you do every day. And and I definitely uh, not to say you know I guess you can call stalking you on Instagram. And it's, it's always a fun thing to do. And and um, I appreciate you know everything you had to share with us today. And um, I look forward to seeing you on Sundays. And and, and God bless you. And, and thanks for being here, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Good. Thank you guys
1: so much for having me. Uh, you know, really honored to to be given this opportunity. Thank you. Awesome, man.
0: Enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You too. Stay warm out there. All right. Thank we'll you. see you. All right. Bye bye.